Good morning, everybody. Let me uh, pray for us. Father, we ask that the words that we just sang together um, would be true and that we would experience it and know it to be true. That you would move by your spirit in us and around us and underneath us. That it would come like the wind. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going to go. But we could see its effect, the spirit's effect in our lives. Help us to feel it, to hear it, to know it. Show us the grace of Jesus and change us by it. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, we have uh, been reading through Paul's letter to the Galatian church together, and we're almost at the end of it. We'll finish it next week. And if you've been with us, you know that Paul wrote this letter to his friends so that they could be free. After he founded the church there and moved on, some other folks had come into Galatia and told the young Christians there that they had made a good start at being Christians, but that in order to really please God, in order to really make progress in their faith, they needed to do some more things. They needed to practice some parts of the law that were found in the Old Testament. And Paul wrote this letter to tell them that that was not true. And in fact, if they started following these teachers' advice, It would be like spiritual slavery to them. And he wanted them free. For freedom. For freedom, he wrote, Christ has set you free. He wanted them to know that they were free to genuinely know God. Free to be called his children. Free to be able to call God Father without any hesitation. Without any pause or fear. Free to experience the love of this Father. Free to live lives of love and service in the world. Paul wanted his friends to know that they had freedom to become the humans that God had made them to be. And he's made that plea a bunch of different ways in this letter. I think he's made it persuasively. And now now he begins to apply all of that to their life together. We're going to look at a beautiful and challenging passage about the inner life of the church. It's about our life together. So I'm going to read from Galatians 6 for us. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Uh, We have more than that printed in the order of worship. We'll just read and talk about 1 through 5. So you can follow along there in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Well, the Baker family uh, has a dog. Uh, We've had this dog uh, for around three years, and it is uh, genuinely absurd how much we love this thing. His name is uh, Roscoe, without an E at the end. He is named after Roscoe Purvis Coltrane. And if you know who that is without looking it up, I bet I can guess how old you are. Um, Up until this point, I have somehow managed not to talk about this dog in a sermon, but today is his day. Uh, 
It's not because he saved anyone's life. (laughs) It's not because he found a lost child. It's not because he protected us from some intruder. Nothing like that. I want to talk about him today because he did just about the most dog-like thing I can think of the other day. So I came home to an empty house a few days ago, empty of, of humans, and Roscoe greeted me at the back door far more enthusiastically than he usually does, which was nice, but also a little bit suspicious. And he laid down uh, at my feet, and I, I rubbed his belly, I scratched on his belly, and there was this sticky glob of something on his belly, which was also suspicious. But I didn't think much of it until I walked into our living room, which was completely littered wall to wall with the remnants of a Halloween candy massacre. (laughs) Candy bar wrappers were everywhere. There were empty nerds boxes, empty dots boxes everywhere, half-eaten bags of Sour Patch Kids, and soggy, naked lollipop sticks were everywhere. So I slowly walked into the back room where Roscoe was, and of course, he wouldn't even look me in the eye. He was just laying there trying to ignore me, and we both knew what was up. And I don't really blame the dog. We are the ones who left that stuff out where he could get at it. We are the ones. We're the ones who know that his entire life is ordered around moving towards food and then eating that food. That's his whole life. If he is awake and there is some food within reach of his snout, he is moving towards that food inexorably, unfailingly, tirelessly. His drive is relentless. And if you'll let me put it like this, I think the Apostle Paul is saying that life in the Spirit for people like you and me should also be marked with that kind of relentlessness. If we are awake, we should also always be moving towards something. And that thing that we should be moving towards is one another. Paul actually makes up a term for this, a name for this movement, a name for this relentless approach to the other. He calls it the law of Christ. So if you were here last week, you might remember that Paul has just written about what he called the fruit of the Spirit. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are a picture of the life that we have been made for, but they're not only a picture. They are also the life that Jesus works in people like us as we abide in him, as we keep faith in him. As Paul puts it, if we keep in step with the Spirit, these things will start showing up in our lives. Jesus will grow them in our lives. So what does it look like when people abide with Jesus? What does it look like when people keep in step with the Spirit and Jesus begins to grow this life in our lives? Well, Paul is glad that you asked. <laughs> now, I don't know for sure, because Paul doesn't say for sure, but my guess is that little church in Galatia had been wounded pretty deeply by what had happened to them after those other teachers came in and started messing with them. 
because it wasn't some detached debate. This, this had real consequences in the way that they lived life with one another, in their life together. So I don't think Paul, here at the end of this letter, is just throwing out random thoughts before he closes. I think he is addressing real situations and real wounds and real attitudes and real needs in the lives of his friends. And that realness is what makes them so important to us, too. And in verse 1, he just starts at the heart of everything. (laughs) He starts with a hypothetical. If anyone is caught in any transgression, Paul's asking, what if someone sins? What if someone really messes up? And I want us to slow down and and think about that for a moment. I think it's good for us to ask, what kind of things cross our minds when we hear that someone has done something wrong? What is the things that what are the things that enter our minds when, when we hear that something has overtaken, that this sin has overtaken another person and it's even taking them down? What enters our minds? It could be a public figure or a friend, a coworker, a family member. I mean, just think about that for a second. What is it that we think of when we hear that that's happened? I don't know what you're thinking of. I know what I'm thinking of. I do know the brittle morality of our culture. I do know the brittle morality of how our culture works. It seems to me that our culture is in this really confounding, strange bind at the moment. I mean, on the one hand, we're wildly permissive. We're almost giddy to cast off all kinds of orthodoxies. But on the other hand, I don't know if I have ever lived in a more preeningly self-righteous time than the moment that we live in right now, in our place. Moral scolding has been turned up to 11. It's like our national pastime. If you want a little dose of moral scolding, just read the paper, look at the news feed, talk to a neighbor. Just about every stripe of every constituency does this. And I I don't know for sure, but this weird contradiction, this weird tension that exists in our culture, I think at least some of it comes from wanting, wanting to be right in the best way, wanting to walk into the freedom of what it is to be in a state of rightness, but having no idea how to get right or what it would look like if it came. Anyhow, we all know the cultural approach to someone who is caught in any transgression. We know the cultural approach to someone who gets messed up underneath sin. It's anger, moral outrage, and posturing, and piling on, coming up with some stupid new hashtag for it, using that event to divide people into utilitarian categories, carving us up public shaming. Church, this stuff seeps into people like us if we are not keeping in step. It's all around us and it it wants to come in. (laughs) 
But maybe that's not you, maybe that's not me. Maybe when we hear about someone who's messed up, it's just our response is more of the garden everyday variety, the tried and true variety, where we simply look down on them and we think things like, wow, I'm, I'm glad that's not me. Or we say, well, at least I'm not that bad. <laughs> and we use someone else's downfall to make us feel better about ourselves, to put ourselves in a better light to have the spotlight shine for once on someone else. Church, those responses are as old and as tired as time. And they're always just under the surface in my own heart. Maybe, maybe your heart too. And to take Paul seriously, to take this word to us seriously this morning is to have the courage It is to have the courage to admit that every last one of those responses is sub-Christian. It is less than Christian. It is less than what we have been called to be in this world. Instead, here is what Paul says to people like you and me. Restore the one who has sinned in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, move towards them. Move towards them with intention. Move towards them with purpose. Move towards them with humility. With one thing on your mind. Their restoration. And their healing. Be like Roscoe. Right? With his eye on a piece of pie that's too close to the edge of the counter where you can't help yourself. You are compelled. You are unable to stop. You are driven. Move towards people. Paul says you who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And I know you hear that and you think, oh, okay, he's talking about the people who are spiritual. Some, some elite strike force of spiritual people. But that is not what Paul means. When he says you who are spiritual, he just means you who have the spirit. Normal, everyday Christians like you and me, people who are trying to keep in step with the spirit. I hope that you have experienced something like this in your lives. I mean, I have to tell you that some of the most profound, some of the most important human experiences that I have ever had have been when I have been on the receiving end of what Paul is talking about here. I feel an embarrassment of wealth over it. My, my, my parents did this to me. They're sitting over there. The staff here at Covenant does this to me. Allison does this to me preeminently in marriage. Some of you... Some of you remember Chad Lewis. He was a pastor here um, before he left to plant Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. And we served here together. And once after a meeting that we were in together, he came up to me and he said, Aaron, I don't know exactly what's going on in you, but let me describe what I see. And then he described what he saw. And it wasn't good. (laughs) And it was right on. (laughs) It was right on. And then he just offered to help me without judgment, without shame, without scolding. And I think about it all the time. I think about that moment all the time because it restored me. 
The word that Paul uses for restore is the word that usually gets used to talk about mending nets that have been torn or rebuilding ruined walls. It's a very evocative image to think about us doing that for one another. And that is the life, church, that we have been made for. And when we think of doing this, approaching one another for restoration and for healing and for mending, it's hard not to hear the echo of the gospel lesson that Jenna read this morning where Jesus himself says that he did not come into the world to condemn the world. He did not come towards the world. He did not move towards the world to shame it or to scold it. He came in love to save it. (laughs) So we will come back around to how Jesus does this later. So Paul says, while you're doing this mending, while you're doing this rebuilding, while you are doing this restoring, keep a watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. We talked about this a little bit last week, and I love it. Genuine Christian faith, I think this is one of the most beautiful things about authentic Christian faith. Um, It has nothing to do with pretending. It has nothing at all to do with kidding ourselves about anything. At no point, at any place in Scripture, does Scripture ever suggest that we should imagine or that we should act like we have it all together. Or that we would never, ever, ever do that horrible, horrible thing that someone else did. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Jesus never said, blessed are the fakers because people really appreciate that. (laughs) He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. (laughs) They are the happy ones. (laughs) The poor in spirit. This is the essential posture of a follower of Jesus, someone who says, I am morally vulnerable. We absolutely don't have it all together. (laughs) We need Father, we need Son, we need Holy Spirit working overtime in our lives, and that's what we have. Church, it is grace that has brought us into this room, and it is grace that will keep us in this room. And people who believe that, not not as like some theological axiom floating out somewhere in the ether, but people who believe that as the everyday blood and guts reality of their lives, people who believe that don't want to fake anything, they don't want to pretend anything, they don't want to deceive themselves or anyone else ever. Paul says it like this in verses 3 and 4 and 5. He says, if anyone thinks that he's something when he's nothing, he, he deceives himself. Let each one test her own work. Each will have to bear their own load. He's talking about being individuals, being people who are aware and honest, as aware and honest as we possibly can be of who we really are our weaknesses and our strengths, our gifts and our deficiencies, our moral vulnerabilities. He's talking about being a people who hold all of this out in open hands, this this load that we are going to carry. We hold it all out in front of us with open hands as we approach one another, as we move towards one another in humility. I mean... We won't be able to move towards someone 
We won't be able to restore them in humility and in gentleness if we somehow think we'll never need restoration ourselves or we pretend that we'll never need it. Paul is describing this incredible people. It is so, so peculiar of a people. A very, very different people. A people who have been set apart for each other's good. A people who have been set apart for the good of the world. And church, it's us. It's who we are. And in verse 2, he describes this life as clearly as he possibly can. This is what he says. Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. And I, I can't help but think that Paul wrote that with at least a crack of a smile on his face. I mean, he, he has spent so much energy, so much of his intellectual prowess in this letter trying to tell his friends that they ought not to be keeping any kind of Old Testament law. They ought not to fall into that law because it's like slavery. And then here he's like saying, well, if you do want a law, let me give you a law. Bear one another's burdens. Move towards each other with relentless intention. Come alongside each other, shoulder to shoulder, to lift that load is, whatever it is, off of each other's backs. Paul's not specific here. I love that he's not specific here. It could be anything. This burden could be anything. A broken heart, a financial need, a ride somewhere, a hot meal. <laughs> Help raising kids, help just taking care of kids, pain from a loss, frustration at work, loneliness. These are the burdens that you and I bear together in this broken world. So, so many of you do this unseen all of the time. It's amazing. I mean, if we tallied up, if we could somehow count up all of the, all of the conversations with the arm around the shoulder, if we could tally up all of the sympathetic prayers that you have prayed for one another with tears coming down your cheeks, if we could somehow count up all of the encouragements, all of the gift cards, all of the meals delivered, all of the phone calls, all of the text messages on difficult anniversaries, all of the rides that have been given and notes that have been sent, all of the other many, many things that you all do to bear one another's burdens, if we could count them all up, it would be wildly, wildly overwhelming. And it is mostly unseen. And I want you to know, your elder brother Jesus sees you. And it is good. It is good. And this is why, of course, care and counseling exists here. This is why the solace ministry exists here. This is why our deacons work quietly, quietly behind the scenes with the deacons fund, to which so many of you contribute generously. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's going to write this stuff up in the newspaper. <laughs> It is never going to be profiled in Christianity today. But it is pretty much everything. And you don't have to take my word for it. That's what Paul says. He says it is the law of Christ. <laughs> I mean, think about that. That is a powerful, powerful, you know, term to coin. I don't think he did that lightly. He's saying here, 
here is the rule of life for followers of Jesus. You bear one another's burdens. That's the rule of life. It's like he said at the beginning of chapter 5, in love, serve one another. This is the law of love. So why? Why? Why is this the rule of life for people who follow Jesus? Because this is precisely what Jesus did for us. This is the inner logic of this part of Paul's letter. We are called to move towards people relentlessly and tirelessly because Jesus moved towards us relentlessly and tirelessly. We're called to gently restore and rebuild and mend people messed up and broken down by sin because Jesus gently restores and mends and rebuilds us. <laughs> when we are messed up and broken down by sin. And we approach others humbly when we do that, without scolding, without shaming, because this is how Jesus approached us. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, not to condemn, but to save. Church, Jesus' life and death are the explanation of love. His life and death make love clear to people like us. They, they make love happen to people like us. And we are called to love like we have been loved. And Jesus' resurrection and his ascension means that we have everything that we need to do that. We have all the resources that we need to love like that. We have all the power, all of the energy necessary because we have the power of the resurrection working in us. Because we have our elder brother seated in power praying for our success. We have everything that we need to love as we have been loved. So let us cling to him by faith. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us be people who are always moving relentlessly, always roving, always headed with intention and humility and love toward one another. Let me pray for us. Father, help us by your spirit, by your might, by your power to be people who move towards one another because we have been moved towards. Do this so that we can be healed. And do this so that we can be a, an incredible witness to the watching world. Help us to see each other. Help us not to miss each other. And to move towards one another in love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.